Today on Blue 58, the Kansas City Chiefs are coming to town, setting the seemingly resurgent Packers up for a primetime game that could tell us a lot about this team, or maybe nothing at all. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. The Chiefs. They're coming to Lambeau Field, and they're bringing with them a lot of national attention. And with national attention comes one of my least favorite parts of sports media, the narratives. I understand why we have narratives, and I wrote about this in my picks column at thepowersweep.com on our Patreon, on our Substack. You can read the relevant portion of this for yourself if you'd like to, but I'm going to kind of recap it here a little bit. Narratives are a part of this game, and I don't mean the game like the game of football. I mean the game of covering and consuming coverage of sports. We understand that. We use stories to make sense of what we see. Storylines emerge naturally. Storylines are manufactured. Stories, 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 stories are everywhere. And it makes sense. Part of how human beings make sense of the world is by telling ourselves stories. You have internal narratives that help you shape decision-making in franchises. You've got external narratives about how this guy is a good and this guy's a choker and this coach always comes up with you know clutch situations and blah, blah, blah. You understand the narratives. They're annoying because the narratives aren't always true. We talk about how some guys get credit for things that they don't deserve. We, get, we talk about guys who are underrated. Well, you can't have a guy who's underrated unless there's a story out there that's rating other guys ahead of him. And well, you understand how that might might happen and grow and kind of metastasize over time. But every so often, even if you're like me and you don't like the just the reliance on storylines to make things bigger or smaller than they are, more or less meaningful than they are, every so often there comes an opportunity for a storyline that is just so perfect that you can't help but pay attention to it. And that's where I find myself this week because the Packers get the Chiefs at Lambeau Field, which would be an interesting enough game on its own. We'll talk about the Chiefs and, and their greatness over the over the years, the recent years, um, in a second. But the real connection is Jordan Love because the first time we got to see Jordan Love in any meaningful capacity, and we saw him at the end of the, the Packers opening season opening loss to the Saints in 2021, but the first meaningful experience we got with Jordan Love was his start on the road in week nine of the 2021 season, a game the Packers lost, in part because Love didn't play overly well. But now Jordan Love is the guy in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is off attempting a late season comeback for the Jets, and Jordan Love appears to be settling into his role as the Packers starting quarterback in a way that we really haven't seen from him yet this season. He's just been growing a lot over the course of this year, and certainly he has taken great strides since 2021. So that, I think, is the focus of this game as things come in, but it's not the only thing. You've got Jordan Love. How far has he come since 2021? You've got the Packers going up against a good team, and with respect to the Lions, who I think are a good team, you've got the Chiefs in an entirely different category, a multi-time recent Super Bowl winning team, the defending champs, the defending league MVP, the defending Super Bowl MVP in Patrick Mahomes, both of those categories, 
all of the other great aspects of this team come to Lambeau Field and the Packers, who have been playing much better over the past month, suddenly get to test themselves against this team. How do the Packers stack up? How do the Packers playing at home, getting into rhythm, setting themselves up maybe for a run for the playoffs? We're going to have a mini run the table here over the last month of the season or so. How do they measure up against one of the true, seemingly elite teams in the league? And more on that seemingly word as we start to talk about the Chiefs here in a second. Then you've got Matt LaFleur matching up against Andy Reid. We've talked about Matt LaFleur's role in this Packers season, what it means in the short term, what it means in the long term. By and large, I think he's still regarded as one of the bright young coaches in the league. I don't know where he would rank among, if he sat down and ranked the best coaches in the league, where would he rank? Top 10? Somewhere in there? Probably, just because of the Packers' success over the past five years. And being with the Packers for five years automatically makes him one of the longer tenured coaches in the NFL, just because of how quickly all these things turn over. But he is no Andy Reid. Andy Reid might be the best coach working in the league right now. Bill Belichick is not at the heights that he once was when partnered with Tom Brady. Mike Tomlin is probably the other one who would fall into that category of like best working coach, just given how long he's been in Pittsburgh. Andy Reid is not only one of the better coaches, but he's been around a long time. He's one of the guys who just ends up being considered one of the greats just because he's lasted for so long. And if you do last a long time in the in the NFL, you, chances are you are a really good coach. And Reed has the Super Bowl rings to prove that, yes, he can be part of putting together a really, really great team. So you get the, the narrative, the storyline of Matt LaFleur measuring himself against one of the one of the clear greats of the current era in the NFL and Andy Reid. That's a pretty exciting narrative, too. Then you've got Taylor Swift, if that's something that appeals to you. It doesn't to me, but also the level of attention that Taylor Swift is getting relative or or related to the NFL also doesn't bother me either. And here's why. I want more people to like football. One of the key, I guess, goals of this podcast and of thepowersweep.com is to share this game that I really, really enjoy with people, and I want you to enjoy it or get some of the same enjoyment out of it that I do. Part of that is recognizing that people get to the game in different ways. For me, it was growing up in eastern Wisconsin, and not just growing up there, you know, becoming a Packers fan, but at the particular time when I grew up there. The first real season that I remember anything about was the 1994 Packers season, but you had Reggie White, you had Brett Favre, you had Leroy Butler. That's a colorful, exciting cast of characters, and that drew me in as a Packers fan. Not everybody has that experience with the Packers. I mean, if you were born, so I was born in 1988. I'm six years old in 1994. I start to remember things about that era. If I was born in 1983, maybe I don't get into it quite so much or not at the same time because the team isn't quite so good. It doesn't have those same players in in place. Maybe I'm born in 1998 instead of 1988. Then it's 2004, 2005, 2006 when I'm quote unquote coming online as a football fan. Do you have the, do I have the same interest in the sport then as I do 
if, you know, if I came on, you know, as a Packers fan in the early 90s. The point is there are different ways to get into the sport, and that's still, you know, those scenarios are a pretty conventional path in. There are other ways. We talk about it a lot with some of the international listeners to this podcast. You saw a guy with a, a block of cheese on your head and, and on his head, and you wondered what that was all about. You found out it was a part of a football team. You found out the Packers were one of the only publicly owned franchises in all of sports and the only one in American sports, or at least the only one that matters in American sports. Uh, you found out maybe that they just wear green uniforms and you happen to like that. There's all sorts of different ways that you can get hooked up with just this team to say nothing of the sport of football. That is really hard for me to sit here and be like, I mean, they're promoting Taylor Swift. What, is Taylor Swift going to get people in, involved in the game of football? Yeah, probably not. But what if she does? I think that's pretty cool. So if she gets people on board with football, hey, the more the merrier. And that's the the best part about a stuff stuff about football. It's not like if there's a hundred people watching a football game, that's the maximum number of people that can enjoy that game at one time. It could be ten thousand or a hundred thousand or a million or ten million. Everybody can watch the same game and get enjoyment out of it. If you take that ten million and make it fifty million or a hundred million, the level of enjoyment doesn't go down. It just goes up because we all have more to share together. So I think that that is something that can't be denied in this game. You get somebody like Taylor Swift, a non-football character who's getting inserted into the storyline that we're talking about with the game. Maybe it does bring a few people into the fold of football and we grow the tent that way. And there's more of us to all enjoy this great game together. That's a long aside away from the game related narratives here. The point about a lot of those game related narratives the funny thing about them is that for most, if not all of them that we mentioned, the Packers have to win for them to to really feel like they mean anything. If we're talking about how Jordan Love has to win to show us how, or or play well at least, to show us how far he's come since 2021, well, if he doesn't play well, it's not much of a storyline here. Who cares if Guy doesn't improve over the course of three years is a pretty boring storyline, isn't it? So if he goes out and stinks up the joint Saturday night, well, that's a bit of a dud of his story. If the Packers trying to measure themselves against one of the, the NFL's current, you know, rounds of royalty, if they go out and just play, you know, like a team that's not quite there yet, well, it doesn't really show us anything. It's not anything we didn't expect. Of course, the Chiefs won. The Chiefs were supposed to win. The Chiefs are six-point favorites in this game, and since they're playing at Lambeau Field, the, the Ve- that means Vegas really thinks that the Chiefs are about nine points better than the Packers because they're not getting the three points that you would normally favor the home team. If Matt LaFleur doesn't look good against Andy Reid, it's kind of just confirming that we already what we already believe that we know, that Matt LaFleur is not in the same caliber of coach as Andy Reid. I think that would basically be the broad opinion on Matt LaFleur right now, and if he doesn't look as good as Reid does on Sunday night, it's not really changing anything at all for anyone. So... The narratives might matter, but they kind of only matter in the extent or to the extent that the Packers win. And even then, it's not like Jordan Love is sitting there, you know, walking off the field, win or lose Sunday night and thinking, wow, this really validates how far I've come since 2021. He might. It'd be hard for that to not cross your mind at least a little bit, given how much everybody has talked about it, how well it was love's first real exposure to the limelight in the NFL. It would be hard to not think about that at least a little bit. 
So is there a chance that the Packers can actually make that happen? Can they win? Can they pay off those storylines in a meaningful way? To answer that question, we have to talk about, I guess, one related question. And that question is, how vulnerable are the Chiefs? How realistic is it for the Packers to think that they might upset the Chiefs in a primetime game and really shake up this conversation around this team, around Jordan Love, around Matt LaFleur, around all of those things? And those are just example storylines, by the way. Some of those kind of made up. Some of those have a little bit more legs to them. So can the Packers actually do that? What do we know about the Chiefs? Eight and three so far by our reliable expected wins metric. They're 7.6 and 3.4 on the season, basically saying that they're about where you would expect them to be. They're not unusually lucky or anything. They're not getting breaks that have inflated their record or really just hammering away in one-score games to, to make it look like they're better than they are. That's about what you would expect from the Chiefs record-wise. However, the Chiefs have so far this season been what I would say is uncharacteristically poor on offense. They are just 11th in scoring so far this year, 7th in passing yards, 7th in scoring percentage. Of course, we are breaking out the world's smallest violin here. We're not even a full year removed from them hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Oh, you won the Super Bowl in February, and now you're only the 11th best scoring offense in football. Crimea River, good grief. But also, we have to acknowledge that you do get graded a little bit differently when you are the defending champs, when you've got the defending MVP, the defending Super Bowl MVP, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, blah, blah, blah. The Chiefs have a lot of good players. They just won the Super Bowl nine and a half months ago. Yeah, of course, it's going to seem like they're having a little bit of a down year when you're coming off a year where you were the wire-to-wire, you know, presumptive Super Bowl favorite, and then you go on and win the Super Bowl. And your quarterback is MVP, and then he he plays well in the playoffs, and the, you win another Super Bowl. Yeah, you're going to get looked at a little bit differently. Anyway, when you talk about their offense being a little bit uncharacteristically poor, a lot of that shows up in Patrick Mahomes' stats. Just running down a few highlights, he's on pace for a career low in yards per game. He's throwing interceptions at the highest rate in any season of his career other than his rookie year, which hardly counts. He's got the lowest success rate of his career, which is an interesting stat. Basically, success rate measures how often you're getting the yards you're supposed to get on a given play that are basically going to keep you on track for getting a first down. He's at the lowest rate of success in that metric of his entire career. To circle back to where we were in the last episode talking about adjusted net yards per attempt, he's got the lowest figure of his career in that metric as well. You can carry on down the list, pick your stats. Chances are they're not going to be as good as what you'd expect from Patrick Mahomes. So why is that? Quite simply, his pass catchers are not very good. Break it down as simply as possible. He's currently only got three guys that have over 300 yards on the season. Travis Kelsey, who do you would expect? Rache Rice, a rookie who we liked a lot in the pre-draft process. And Justin Watson, a career backup who has already surpassed his career high in yards. He's been primarily a special teamer until last year with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now with 300 and I think 32 yards on the season, he has a career high in yardage in like his sixth or seventh NFL season. For comparison, the Packers currently have five guys who have more than 300 yards on the season. And I don't know if people would characterize the Packers passing offense as being wildly productive, but at least if you look at it that way, the Packers are getting more guys who are producing reasonably good statistical outputs than the Chiefs are. 
whether you like that comparison or not, the overall point is that their pass catchers aren't great. And that is partly because some guys that the Saint, that the not the Saints, the Chiefs have dumped a whole bunch of resources into have not been performing as well as you would expect or hope if you were the Chiefs. For instance, 2022 free agent signing Marquez Valdez-Scantling, there's a name you may recognize, his 15 catches on the year for 248 yards and a touchdown and one highlight reel drop that you've probably seen going around the internet of late. 2022 second round pick Sky Moore has just 20 catches for 239 yards and one touchdown on the year. 2022 trade acquisition Kadarius Toney, a former first round pick of the New York Giants, has 22 catches for 139 yards and one touchdown. 2019 Chiefs second round pick Nicole Hardman, who signed with the Chiefs this spring only to then be traded back to the Chiefs, has just eight catches for 41 yards in his time with the Chiefs this year. On top of that, and I know he's not primarily a pass catcher, but 2020 first round pick Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is basically a non-factor in the Chiefs offense. 30 catches, 38 carries, excuse me, for 134 yards and a touchdown this year, 30 catches, 196 yards, and one touchdown. So does that mean that the Chiefs are vulnerable if you just manage to slow down their offense at all? Well, unfortunately, no, because their defense is really good. Defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo, who made Jordan Jordan Love's life a living hell in 2021, is doing a great job, and he's got the horses to continue to make it, well, a great season defensively for the Chiefs. So far this year, they are third by points allowed, fourth by yards allowed, fifth by EPA per play allowed. They are fourth by EPA in drop back passing, though second worst against the run. Most More on that in a second. Weirdly, they are only 20th in takeaways. You kind of would expect them to be higher given how strong their overall defensive number. They just have 14 takeaways on the season so far, but they're making up for their lack of takeaways with a lot of sacks. They are fifth in the league in sacks. 2022 first-round picks George Karlaftis leads the team with eight right now. All-league defensive tackle Chris Jones has seven and a half. They've also got three more guys who have at least three sacks so far this season. Defensive backs are good, not exactly like a murderer's row. They're not the Legion of Boom with uh, just a ton of great players all over the secondary. But Trent McDuffie is 13th among cornerbacks with at least 200 coverage snaps this year, according to Pro Football Focus, 13 highest graded, that is. Brian Cook is their top graded safety, but he's just 36th in the league at that position. So good, but not great safeties and defensive backs. The road to success here for the Packers is that they, if they could just somehow pound away on the ground, that seems like it's probably the way to go. But that, unfortunately, is a problem for a number of reasons. First, the Packers' offensive line has some profound struggles in the ground game. By pro football focus, they are 24th against the run in terms of run blocking. They're the 24th ranked run blocking team by great. There, that's what that's how we should say that. According to ESPN's run block win rate stat, they are the 28th best line in the league in terms of run blocking. The second problem is that the Packers running back situation continues to be pretty tenuous. There's no Aaron Jones this week. A.J. Dillon is a bit dinged up, though he is practicing now. Patrick Taylor, for as much as we love him on this show, has his limits. Beyond that, you've got James Robinson back in the fold. We covered him last week. You've got Ellis Merriweather, who Matt LaFleur is saying some positive things about, but he doesn't have a lot of, you know, overwhelming numbers that would make you excited about what he can probably do. That 
is basically it. The Chiefs are most vulnerable against the run. The Packers don't seem like they can run the ball particularly well. And if the Packers end up in a situation where they need to pass a lot, you're going to be vulnerable to the Chiefs' hellacious pass rush. They're very high blitz rate. We'll talk more about that in a second. And they're, they're pretty good defensive backs. So what do we need the Packers to do then? I think it's going to be a pretty important game to do things quickly on offense. Quick, conservative, short, fast. Crossers, short outs, stuff like that. Consistency is going to be the key for the offense. There may not be a lot of opportunities to go for real big plays down the field in the passing game, which is probably just as well because that's probably the weakest area of their passing game right now. If there's anything that you can say that Jordan Love does really well, it's attacking the short to intermediate areas of the field, especially the intermediate stuff. That's been really fascinating to watch uh, him develop that part of his game over the course of the season. The, The arm angles, the ball placement, the throws that he will try, the ways he will get to throws that he wants to try as he sees and senses plays develop, just setting himself up to to rifle a, a pass sidearm and stuff like that. That is a different kind of of arm talent than I think we're we're talking about we we're usually used to talking about when you talk about a guy who has well to use the the phrase we've come back to a lot from Dane Brugler's scouting report for the athletic, quote unquote immense arm talent. Usually, if you hear phrasing like that, you think about a guy who's just got a cannon on his shoulder who's going to be launching lasers all over the field. That really hasn't been Jordan Love to this point in the season, but he's not throwing rocket balls, but what he is is doing a lot of bendy arm trick shot type stuff. He's got all the throws. They're all in there. If you're not throwing deep balls, he can find a way to get guys the ball, and if they're catching it, the Packers' offense suddenly looks a lot more dangerous, and it's looked a lot more dangerous the past couple of weeks. If you're going to play that short-to-intermediate passing game, Jordan Love looks like a guy who can do it. I think the Packers can win this. It's going to be hard, and the chances that they do, I think, are, are probably low. But, shoot, we're at the end of November here, as I record this. We're still in it. The playoff race is still there. The Packers haven't been left behind Anything is possible at this point. Aside from a win, then, what do we need to see from the Packers in this game? Let's get it out of the way right off the bat here. Well, right off the bat, 20-something minutes into this podcast. I don't believe in moral victories. This is not a situation where we can say, hey, you know, the Packers gave it their all. They got to feel good about themselves for just keeping it to within 7 points or 10 points or whatever on the Chiefs. I don't think that's the way that we should look at this game. However, having said that, a victory doesn't necessarily matter either. It it would be nice to have, but the Packers really have to go just four and two the rest of the way to have a reasonable shot at the playoffs. If they win out, they're in for sure. But if they go to four and two, that gets the Packers to nine and eight. And I think that might be good enough to get things done the way the NFC playoffs are shaping up. Packers are probably going in as a seventh seed regardless. Nine and eight probably gets you there at this point, especially if they're going four and two the rest of the way. A win would ni- be nice to have, but it's not necessarily going to dash the Packers' playoff hopes here either because they've got a bunch of winnable games on their schedule. You start talking about the Giants, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Bears. That sounds like four very winnable games right there. Who knows what the, the Vikings are going to look like by the time we get to Week 17. It This game may not end up mattering all that much in their playoff hunt. 
is what I'm trying to say. But even if we're not saying that the Packers, you know, can get a feel good game out of this, even if we're saying they don't have to necessarily win, there are a few things that I think we should be watching for here. We extend that metaphor that we trotted out a few weeks back about this being like an extended preseason. What are we looking for in this preseason where we're not necessarily counting on the Packers to get to the playoffs anyway, but if they do, it's a fun bonus. Let's talk about Jordan Love against the Blitz. This is where I do think you have a real narrative as opposed to where they were in 2021 or where he was in 2021. Blood in the water is how I would describe Steve Spagnuolo's approach to going after Jordan Love last time around. It's pretty clear if you go back and watch that game, even watching it at the time, that Spagnuolo saw Jordan Love and said to himself, we got a first-time starter here. He's on the road. He had a short week of prep. Let's get crazy. And he turned it loose. They went after Jordan Love in that game. And that's basically what the Chiefs like to do. And I think we're going to see more of that in this league. According to Pro Football Reference, the Chiefs blitz at the sixth highest rate in the league. They are just a hair behind the Steelers to be eked out of the top five. And in 2021, Jordan Love did not handle the Blitz particularly well. He went 7 of 18 that day against the Blitz for 40 yards. Didn't end up throwing a touchdown, but it was a tough go. I mean, 18 attempts for 40 yards, that's a lot of work for not a lot of return on your investment there. So far in 2021, he hasn't necessarily been markedly better against the Blitz. So far this year, 16 of 30 for 112 yards, one touchdown, and one interception when he's blitzed. Again, Not like making enormous strides there, but honestly, who's great against the Blitz? There aren't a lot of quarterbacks where you sit there and say, that's a guy that likes it when they bring extra pressure. That's kind of the point of bringing extra pressure in it, isn't it? You make the the quarterback uncomfortable, and you're counting on that to speed up his decision-making process, make him uncomfortable. If Jordan Love can make probably one to two, maybe more like three or four plays against the Blitz, that might be enough to offset what we know is probably going to be a a not-great performance against a against the blitz at least for a team that likes to blitz a lot and if Matt LaFleur can come up with some blitz counters for what the the Chiefs like to do there may be your path to some pass or your your path to some pass pass game productivity that's what I'm trying to get to a lot of P's in there secondly let's see the Packers defense versus the Chiefs offense the Chiefs offense hasn't been as great as it historically has been we're not looking at the the greatest show on turf or the greatest show on well, oddly brown-colored grass, if you look at how Arrowhead Stadium typically looks at this point of the year. But the Chiefs have a lot of guys that are pretty scary. You kind of get the feeling for why Aaron Rodgers kept get, getting voted as one of the best or most dangerous players in the league, even when he was having down years later in his tenure with the Packers, when you look at Patrick Mahomes. He's not having one of his better years, but are you going to sit there as an opposing defensive coordinator as Matt LaFleur, as even an opposing Packers fan and be like, ah, you know, it's, it's Patrick Mahomes down here. We don't have to worry about him. No, he's going to terrify you every time he has the football because he still has all of those attributes that make him a great quarterback. He just, it, it hasn't come together on offense, but it could at any time. So how does the Packers defense handle that? How do they hand us, handle Travis Kelsey? The Packers' defense is coming off one of their better games, probably its best pair of games if you go back to the Chargers game. If you put the whole month together, the Packers have been on a little bit of a defensive hot streak here, though they did get gashed pretty well on the ground against the Steelers. 
can they continue to play well? Because if the Chiefs are having another down game on offense and the defense can keep the Packers offense in it, that's just giving you a chance. And that's all you hope for in a game like this against a really good team. I feel like this has been a perpetual talking point of late, but I think we got to watch what we see from the Packers' offensive line this week. Rasheed Walker and Yash Nyman are trading places all the time, as are Sean Ryan and John Runyon. Not all the time, but you understand what I'm saying. I think by this point, we're just on the lookout for a situation where one of these guys makes an egregious mistake or an egregious a series of egregious mistakes and really gets himself behind the other guy in this pecking order. The offensive line is obviously going to be tested in this game. The the Chiefs have some some players who can really push you around up front and make you pay. So if the Packers have some rough spots here, can they swap these guys and figure out a configuration that works? Because if you're going to be moving these guys around a lot, you might as well keep moving them if they start having some rough spots against a pretty solid Chiefs pass rush. And how do they handle the tricky things that the Chiefs are going to want to do up front anyway? That, you know, that gets to be a, a pretty convoluted question there and one that we're just going to have to watch play out on Sunday night. Finally, can the Packers ground game manufacture anything? The opportunities seem to be there against the Chiefs, even if you assume that other teams are just behind against the Chiefs and, and aren't running all that much. Stuff like EPA points to the the idea that even when teams are running, when games are relatively close, the Chiefs just aren't stopping them all that much or all that effectively. If the Packers can get anything going against the uh, on the ground against the Chiefs, there is one of your paths to victory. Beating the blitz and moving the ball effectively on the ground is going to help the Packers at least stay competitive in this game. If they can do that, who knows what can happen? Anything can happen. And anything that does happen can shift the narrative in profound and dramatic ways. And really, that's just what we're looking for as fans. Stories are really all that we have. We can't affect the game in any meaningful sort of way, so at least we might as well hope for the best and try to get an interesting story out of it. And if the Packers come up with a win on Sunday Night Football against the Chiefs, we're going to have some pretty cool stories to enjoy throughout the month of December for this Packers team. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show. It is the number one way that we grow, and it's the number one way that we help more people become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.